Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral land of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Ojibwe, Nakota Sioux, and others for time immemorial. I also would like to acknowledge that this land is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta and that I am a settler on this land. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist. I use they-them pronouns, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. I break this podcast up into four parts. Novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. In this episode, I interviewed William Hinsey, author of A Fire for Christmas. Let's get started. First up, novels. I finally have a release date for the final installment in my Red 72 series. It will come out on June 21st. Cue the fake air horn noises. Pew, 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 pew. If you haven't read the first three books in my Red 72 series, Red 72, Red 72 Genesis, and Red 72 Exodus, you can find them on Amazon. And now for my interview with William Hinsey. Hi, Will. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Can you please tell the listeners a little about yourself and where you're from? Sure. Yeah, I'm William R. Hensey. I'm the author of um, Without Expiration, which recently won the American Fiction Award, and the upcoming anthology A Fire for Christmas, which is a satirical, slightly deranged anthology of uh, Christmas stories. So, and I've, um, let's see where I'm from. So I'm actually from West Virginia. Um, I was born in Morgantown, West Virginia, but now I've, I've lived in Southern California um, 35 plus years now. So um, LA area kid with West Virginia sentiments. So. Love it. Yeah. So what kind of prompted you to write a fire for Christmas? You said it's satirical. We've been through this crazy <laughs> last year and a half, two years. What got you started on this thought process? So it, it has an interesting background. So when I was, uh, when we were young, so actually we moved to California. My dad was in the Air Force. And so we were, um, he was finishing up his degree at West Virginia University. We moved to Omaha, where there's an Air Force base. And then he got stationed out in um, El Segundo, California, which is where LAX is. Um, to a extent with satellites, I, I forget which because he's my dad and I, I don't listen well. Um, and but when we first started living here, we you know we were just kind of scraping by and making ends meet. And all I wanted for Christmas, being a kid from the '80s, was a GI Joe toy of Snake Eyes, which they just released the movie on. Um, and I got it. You know, it was that Christmas story moment where you get the toy you want, 
And then um, something very unfortunate happens with my brother. I don't want to say exactly because it'll ruin the story. Um, but because of that incident with my deranged older brother, um, I, uh, I wrote a short story about it. And that's how it was for years. And it was during the pandemic, um, you know, kind of sitting around like, like all the quarantine, all these things going on. Um, I decided I kind of just wanted to do something fun, um, you know, write something satirical and just irrelevant or irreverent and just have fun with it. Um, and so it started off as it was going to be something really easy. I was going to take a couple of months and just write a couple of short stories. And then I got this idea that it's two writers writing stories back and forth that met right before the pandemic. So they're writing these letters and they're sharing these stories and they're all in the pandemic. They're dealing, that's why they're sharing letters and not meeting up. And it's causing all these difficulties, especially because they're old timey letters. Like the one guy, he thinks it's romantic and he won't send emails. And, uh, and as they go, the stories kind of progress with their relationship and uh, kind of became its own thing. And I wanted to have fun. I wanted it to um, not just be for people that love Christmas. I'm kind of a geek. Um, the podcast listeners won't be able to see it, but I have a, a bar behind me. And the one thing that's there year round is the Scottish Santa with whiskey bottles. Um, and so I just want to have fun with it, enjoy it, but then also make it, um, if, if you're, if you get tired of the Christmas season, it'll also be perfect because then it's also poking fun at itself. That is Super fascinating. I love the idea of two writers writing back and forth to each other. That is pretty hard to do well. So I'm I'm sure you've done it well, but I can't wait to read it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hope so. It it is really challenging because you have to think about how um it's Jeff and Lourdes are the two writers. And um I had to think how would Jeff tell this story. And then tell, and then still think through all of the the elements of story, right? Like the theme and all of this, and how would Lourdes do it? And uh, and so I was thinking two months, and it ended up being a good six to eight months um, to really nail it in because, and, and I like to write organically, so I let the stories kind of come and go where they um, want to go. And so I had to do one from the mindset of Lourdes, one from the mindset of Jeff, and then overarching, right? Mind influenced by it, so it was. Um, yeah, it was spinning my head quite a bit. So you more are just kind of a fly by the seat of your pants writer instead of planning ahead of time? Yeah, so you know what I what I do is there's, um, some people call it a zero draft. So I write it and just let the story come. And then I really look at it and try to look at it structurally um, and go, okay, so this is maybe what's missing. This doesn't quite add up here. This needs more um this uh, maybe I was a little fatigued when I was writing this I need to to work here um so I don't outline and just to outline with bits I write the story most of the dialogue things kind of come through the characters come through and then I really piece through and um I think of it like sculpting you get like a piece of clay and that first pass I'm just making some form of a person or whatever that form might be and then I'm really trying to, to get in what's the expression, what's the meaning and all of that later. That is fascinating to just see where it kind of goes from the beginning. I've not had success myself doing that. <laughs> I tend to just end up with a bunch of threads that are tangled and go nowhere. So mm-hmm. the fact that you are able to actually make story out of that is 
just mind blowing to me. <laughs> I am a very wow. structured outliner. Sure. And then I even have to go back and add more. Like always, of course. Sure. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's my brain doesn't work like that. Right. It's, it's fascinating to see everybody's different writing styles. Right. And just how story evolves from mm-hmm. from that first words on the page. I love yeah. it. Yeah. No, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, and you know, what? what is interesting. So, um, I, my day job is really writing now. Um, but until about two years ago, I was a, a director for a quality regulatory department for companies that make medical devices and PPE. Um, and I still do that as a kind of a part-time gig, um, with that same company that, that I, uh, semi-retired from here. Um, but what it really impressed upon me was always process and how different processes produce different outcomes. So I actually try to really, when I get a story, is think about what process fits this story the best. But that's really hard, right? And you have to change your process, change like your way of thinking um, and really wrap your brain around it. So it's probably not the fastest way, um, but I think it's really interesting to do for variety for freshness, I, I think I partially do it because I get bored easily, right? A, the attention span of a fruit fly. So I'm like, I need to go chase this thing over here. But um, but it is, it's, it's you end up coming to outcomes you probably wouldn't have otherwise. I combat my short attention span by working on multiple projects at once. Mm-hmm. So then sure. when I get bored with whatever I'm working on, I have like three other books that I'm writing at the same time that I'm just like, oh, I'm so sick of writing this. Okay. Well, I'm going to go work on the postbellum romance. Cause I'm sick of working on the one that's a modern true crime <laughs> break time, <laughs> but I'm still working on new right. writing. So, it's, uh-huh. you know, to each their own, everybody has right. a different process. It's yeah. as long as you're writing, I think it's good. I, I think that is the important thing is it's the, it's always keeping the thing the thing, right? It's like, so I always think of my schedule, like if, if writing's not the number one thing, I'm doing it wrong. Because if I'm just, you know, on Twitter or I'm on Instagram, you're just focusing so much on that. Well, then I'm not getting the thing that I actually want to get done and what I want to be known for done. So I think as long as you're writing, that's, yeah, that's, that's all of it. As long as you're making your writing, you're making some progress. I, I don't even try to put strict word counts on it, especially during the pandemic. I used to be like, I'm going to write a chapter a day. And then it's hard sometimes, right? And then I have grandkids. I have kids that are still kids' kids. <laughs> so, you know, like, want to be part of life. You want to be part of your family. And um, as long as you make that time, you're golden. Yeah, I used to do 500 words a day. I don't anymore. The pandemic really kind of threw me through a loop. I took a couple months off of writing entirely. I went through a divorce. Like my life changed a lot in 2020. Right. (laughs) It's just very different now, but yeah, you, you do what works for you. And as long as you're still writing, that's what really matters. What got you into writing? You know, I think I kind of grew into it. Um, It's, it's, there's so much weird stories. Like my parents will even say it like, I didn't have, so my dad was in the Air Force. Um, and then when he got out, he was commuting like everyone in LA does. Um, so like half my stories have horrible like tales and like um, departures on how bad commuting is. <laughs> so, like, Cause I lived through it. 
And my, my parents were at home and we had moved away from my family. My family's all Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Um, and so I was alone a lot in this desert town called uh, Palmdale. So hopefully someone listening will, will get the shout out to uh, P-Dale here. Um, but uh, it was just developing. So it's like literally I could go get into the trenches where they're digging out the house and everything and just play in there. But I'm by myself. So I always had to find ways to entertain myself. Um, and then when things happen, I had to tend to come to terms with them on my own. And I kind of did that always through stories. So it's always just making up stories. You know, I'd have, um, I would be sitting in class and I'd, I'd have my pen and my pen cap and they would turn into some sci-fi like epic battle, you know, in the middle of ninth period. My teacher would be like, Bill, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, so I think it just became part and parcel to how I understood the world, how I understood myself. It was always that narrative. What's the story behind it? What? How can I um, make sense of everything around me? I think a lot of the stories and without expiration, the subtitles of personal anthology is the stories really like aren't, some of them maybe happened like um, were inspired by things that really happened to me or, or events that I witnessed, but most of them are personal because I was grappling with something. I was grappling with mortality and, and a lot of those stories in particular. Um, and that's how I made sense of it for myself was the story. So it just became, I, I get really moody when I'm not writing. Um, but like you, I mean, the pandemic, right? It was hard. It was hard on, on everyone. Um, and it's funny, you think for writers, it's like, hey, just stay inside and write. You know, it's easy, but nah, right? it was, it's hard on everyone. And um, there was a period there where like, I just couldn't get, um, um, get the words out like it just it felt hard and and beyond hard where you just need to push through just depressing right it's just you're there and you're zoning out and um I think that's what kind of led me to a fire for Christmas actually was that I need something that's going to take me out of this but still kind of acknowledge it because the letters are kind of acknowledging it but I have these complete diversions where it's um this magical cold train streaming through or um, a satire of Hallmark movies and it just it was able to completely separate from it and still make sense of it for myself. Do you still remember the first story you wrote or what's the earliest story you can remember writing? So the earliest story I remember writing, um, there was probably like most writers, 97 half written ones, right? I mean, it's like start off and you write four paragraphs and you're very happy and then you don't go anywhere with it. Um, the very first one I really remember finishing is a story called Flying, um, which actually ended up getting published in a little literary journal 2005-ish. Um, and it's actually the closing story of Without Expiration. And it was um, it was kind of based on me, my father and I. Um, he was He's a pilot, um, not a commercial pilot. The dad in the, in the story is a commercial pilot, but he was a pilot in the Air Force. And then he still has a he's going to kill me if he listens to this. I think a Cessna, I don't know, something that fits four people as a little propeller. Um, and uh, he was always working. So, you know, he just didn't have the closest kind of father-son relationship. And there's that natural rebellion, right? You know, like um, do your own thing. So there was that difficult high school, right after high school years. And it was, uh, and they would just go to play paintball to try to reconnect. And some things happened from there. Um and, uh, and again, yeah, it was just me grappling with that relationship where I was at that time and then trying to find something kind of deeper as it, as I aged in it and um, some reflection of what the world was. But that was the first one I finished. And 
Um, still one of my favorites, actually. I think there's just kind of a simplicity to it, right? As you as you learn the craft more and you and you read more and you get all this, I think sometimes things get more complicated and more intricate. And like sometimes that very just simple father son story or mother daughter mother son, you know, those very simple stories that we can kind of all relate to and that don't maybe have the deepest um, intricate plot um, can be really affecting. Those early stories, they really kind of set the shape for what you build on later. Have you found yourself maybe going back and drawing on those same themes in in later stories or finding that it becomes like a pattern for you or like how has that looked for you over your writing career? So I think I've kind of had stages. Um, I think there was that younger stage where I was just writing for writing, right? It was just as this creative expression. I was just what this story is and this story. Um, and then there was a stage. So I was um, 20 when I had my oldest daughter, uh, Rhiannon. And then um, Cassidy, her sister, I was 21, 22. They're, they're pretty close. I forget exactly how old I would have been at that time. Um, and I was a single dad with the two of them. And I didn't have my stuff together. Um, like most people, right? At 21, 22, I just had like these kids along with me. Um, and I was always just terrified of something happening to them. And so there's a period there, and that's what I think is captured a lot without expiration, where I was really like mortality. It wasn't so much I was worried about my own mortality. I was worried about these kids in my care, right? It, it filled me with like this terror I hadn't known. Um, and so there is a period where, yes, lots of it has to deal with like with death or the ramifications or or things like that. But I sense that period kind of ended. And then it got, I think right now I'm in a very satirical period where um, all of it has, like, you find all of them, you'll find little, like, I, you know, humorous things, a lot of social satire kind of sprinkled throughout. Um, but now I think I'm in a, in a, maybe, I don't necessarily want to say healthier, although I'm sure I'm a little healthier um, than I was before, but in a stage where I feel like I can kind of explore the world with more of a zeal and more of a um, openness and more positivity than maybe before where I was exploring it and maybe more from a more of a place of fear. Definitely some growth that's happened there and kind of what you went through with the growth and working through things through your writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like like the best therapist. Oh, for sure. Every (laughs) therapist I've ever had has always told me, to write as part of my therapy and mm-hmm. yeah I I work through a lot of stuff in my writing and it's probably why I have some of the themes I do but you know mm-hmm. that's every author has their themes like yeah, yeah what is going on in Stephen King's head <laughs> <laughs> we all want to know like, <laughs> that man is probably either troubled or thinks we are all very troubled for reading what he writes <laughs> Maybe some of both. Huh? Yeah, maybe a bit of both. Who knows? Mm-hmm. What's the best um, advice you've ever received about writing? So I had an old uh, professor that was like notoriously cranky. Um, God love him. And, uh, and he, everyone was terrified of his class all the time. And uh, he was always like 
pretty good to me though. I was never really terrified for one, like um, like the terror of my kids, but everything else, especially before I had kids, I, I had no fear of really of anything. I was a 19 bullish, you know, um, fearless kid. But uh, he had told me one time um, when I'd written a story and I'd put something in and I even forget what it was. Um, the story's long, long obliterated, but I'd put some reference or some illusion in there. And he went, oh, I didn't really get that. And I explained it and he looked back at it and went, oh, okay, I get it. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should make it more clear. Maybe he was like, no, you don't, you don't always, like you're not going to please every reader and you, you don't need to. You need to go at it, be bold with it, make sure it makes, you know what the answer is and then go forth because some readers might get it, some might not, but trust that more will than don't. You know, And if you're a good enough writer, you're going to do it. If you're not a good enough writer, you're not going to. And you get you need to improve or you need to figure it out from there. So it really kind of gave me that sense of, okay, you can't like, you know, not that critique groups and things can't be positive. Um, they certainly can, but there's also that sense of, okay, at some, at some point you need to just take it and own it and go, okay, this, I know what this means. This is what it is. And then have faith in your readers to get it. And there's some that don't, that's always going to happen and move on from there. That is spectacular advice. I do tend to worry about negative feedback, probably more than the positive feedback I get. Mm-hmm. Sure. And there's way more positive feedback than the negative feedback, but I just internally cringe from all, like <laughs> those two negative reviews on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, they didn't like it. What do yeah. I need to fix? I need to do a re-release. <laughs> no, no, I don't. You don't. No. It's perfect the way it is. And if not yeah. perfect, good enough. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I, I, uh, when I was about two, when I was going full time to writing, um, one of the things that my career taught me was if, like, you were results, you, how do you achieve something, right? How do you actually measure that? Um, and I was like, you know, I, I always had the sense that I wanted to be a great writer, like, I wanted to be an important writer. But I had no, that was this ambiguous thing, right? I don't know if someone was going to give me this title or, you know, right? Like, you win an award. Like, I didn't have any measurement behind it. So I really spent a good long time thinking about how do I measure that? How can I say internally that I'm achieving what I want to achieve? And part of that was I want to make sure there's, I want some negative reviews, because if everything's positive, for one, you're really not ever going to have everything be positive, right? Because sometimes someone just read it and was in the wrong mood to read it and doesn't like it, right? Or for whatever reason may not like it. Um, the other aspect is if it's all positive, it could be too safe for what I'm trying to do because I want to I want to take chances. I want to um, experiment. I want to um, fall on my flat on my face sometimes, you know. So I always looked at like, okay, I actually want some negative reviews and it changed my interpretation of them. This, okay, I have eight positive reviews and I have these two negative ones. That's actually a good thing. That's what I'm looking for. Um, so sometimes I that it's that mindset, right? It's like, it's from what, I mean, it's so easy, right? I, all of us are built that way. You get some criticism and now you know, you're like, but why doesn't someone like me? <laughs> but that that changed my mindset of it to where I get one now and I'm like oh okay if if you get a string of them well then yeah there's probably you start to worry but yeah getting getting them sprinkling in I think is is a good sign 
I think it also means that you're selling to people that aren't your mom or your friends. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Because they're always going to leave you good reviews. <laughs> <laughs> or hopefully, anyway. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I was in a writing conference a few years ago and they're like, okay, raise your hand if you want to be a writer. Everybody raises their hands. Raise your hand if you've ever actually completed a manuscript. Bunch of hands go down. Raise your hand if you've published. A few hands are still up. Raise your hand if you've sold a copy. Hardly any hands are still up. Okay, stand up if you've sold a copy to anyone that isn't your mom or your best friend. (laughs) (laughs) I was the only one still standing. Oh, wow. It's like, wow, there's how many people in this room? What is going on? (laughs) Right, really? You're only selling to your mom and your best friend. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was was how to sell more books, but like, right. That was very funny. Obviously, it was needed, but. (laughs) Yeah, like if you're getting negative reviews, you're selling to people that aren't your mom and your best friend. So right, that's that's good to keep in mind, and that you you do need that honest feedback. I do think it helps you grow as well. Just don't Mm -hmm. focus on it too much. Right, like if it's if it's something like this is the worst book I've ever read, ignore that. If it's something like the dialogue was really choppy and it was hard to follow maybe pay attention to that and take a class on how to write dialogue or something. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. 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 I any, think learning any how last to deal thoughts with... on, on writing or things like that? Uh, no, I think, you know, I think just to cap maybe that office, I think it's important in all aspects of your life, right? How do you deal with critiques? Right? Sometimes. Yeah. So it may come to, you know, go, Hey, Bill, you drink too much. Right. Right. Have a live at a bar, right? So like, maybe that's fair, and I should think about it. Other times, maybe I only see you when we're at the bar, right? I mean, so um, yeah, learning how to like to not just brush it off as nonsense, but being able to take it and reflect on it and, and use it in a positive way or discard it as needed. Um, I think it's important for all of us, especially as writers, but then just as people. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been so great chatting with you. And uh, where can people find your books? Yeah. So um, find all my books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the usual places. Um, if you want to get a lot of uh, more detail behind them, including we have some really cool cinematic trailers um, for all three of my released uh, long books. So uh, without expiration, but the ripping apart and um, a fire for Christmas coming out. Um, those are all on my website, including members only accession as a bunch more just original content. Um, that's just my name. So William R. Um, and you can find me, um, Instagram, Twitter, um, at WR Hensey. Perfect. Well, take care. All right. You too. Thanks. Now on to comics. This week's comic, Jingle Poss, is available on my comics Instagram, at World of Possums, and on my comics Facebook page, Possum Pete Comics. In comics news, Texas State Representative Matt Krause sent a letter to the Texas Education Agency with a list of 850 books he feels should not be allowed in schools because they could cause psychological distress. Pretty much every book on the list is about human rights, sex education, and or LGBTQ people. Notable titles on this list include Maya Kobabe's graphic novel memoir, Gender Queer, which seems to be getting banned everywhere, but is an absolute must read. 
Canadian comic artist Sophie LaBelle's first novel, Ciel, about a gender non-conforming high schooler navigating complex friendship dynamics, and Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Now to go add anything on the list I haven't read yet to my to-read list. Another list to add to your to-read list is the New York Times Best Graphic Novels of 2021 list. I haven't read any of the books on this list, but they all sound so amazing. I think I'm going to start with On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder, illustrated by Nora Krug. Here's how the New York Times describes it. Timothy Snyder, a historian of modern Europe and specifically of the Holocaust, emerged after the 2016 election as an expert in contemporary fascism's links with the past, which he analyzed in a short, best-selling book explicitly framed as advice. In On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century, Graphic Edition, the picture deepens even further in collaboration with German cartoonist Nora Krug, who probed her grandfather's Nazi affiliations in her own breakout 2018 graphic memoir, Belonging. Her colorful images here, some drawn and some collaged, add a new layer of complexity and make the search for understanding in images of the past part of the story. My own personal recommendation for best graphic novel of 2021 would be Borders by Thomas King, illustrated by Natasha Donovan. And not just because I had her on a, as a guest a few episodes ago, or because it takes place near where I was born and she drew my favorite mountain in one of her illustrations. Borders looks at indigenous sovereignty in a way most people don't see, at the border crossing between Montana and Alberta. The main character's mother refuses to tell the border guard whether she has American or Canadian citizenship. When they ask, she simply replies, Blackfoot. They end up getting stuck in between the countries for several days as the United States won't let her in and Canada won't let her back. Borders was originally published as a short story in 1993, and Natasha's illustrations add so much depth. Go read it. So good. All right, next up is journalism. Trigger warning, we're about to discuss sexual assault in minor detail, and if that's something you don't want to hear about, feel free to skip about two minutes or so. In current events, Sean Edwards, a board member of the Philadelphia Police Foundation, resigned this week after allegations that he offered teens alcohol and drugs in an attempt to coerce them to have sex with him. Edwards denied the allegations and said he is resigning to avoid distractions for the foundation. Whether he actually did what the teens are accusing him of or not, he handled this perfectly. I wish Calgary City Councilor Sean Chu would take a page out of his book. While serving as a police officer in 1997, Chu actually was found guilty in a misconduct hearing of having inappropriate physical contact with a minor. They also invested, investigated him for misconduct for bringing her to his home in the, quote, early morning hours. At the time, Chu was 34 and the minor was 16. Chu said he touched her leg under the table at a restaurant and that he didn't know she was underage. She said he sexually assaulted her at his home. Dude, you're 34. Get someone your own age and don't assault them. And also resign. These aren't even just allegations. He was found guilty. He was charged with two counts of discreditable conduct under the Police Act and convicted of one. The police hearing file, of course, doesn't give the details of what they convicted him of. And Chu maintains that all he did was touch her leg under a table. But it doesn't matter. At this point, you're a disgrace to the Calgary City Council and should resign. It's the right thing to do. On a lighter note, here's a story that made me giggle. People called the police to report a naked dead body in Huntington Beach, California's Bartlett Park. That's not the funny part, I promise. When police and the coroner arrived, they didn't find any naked dead people, but
but they did find a mannequin. Turns out it was there as part of a department uh, training exercise for the fire department. Interagency communication. Come on, people. <laughs> Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. It's been on and off below freezing all week, so we've been having this, like, melt, freeze, melt, freeze, snow, ice, freezing rain. It's been bad. I've fallen on the ice twice so far, both times while wearing shoes, mind you. I had an encounter with a greeter at Walmart yesterday who tried to tell me that because they sell food, there's a federal regulation that requires shoes. There's not. I calmly explained that the federal regulation applies to employees. She tried to tell me it's a store policy for customers to wear shoes. Again, I calmly explained that it's not, and I've checked with corporate to confirm this. This is the truth. I have an email somewhere if I really have to pull it out. She was not relenting. She paged a manager on her earpiece communicator. The manager apparently was not impressed with her because she told me, okay, you can go in, but if they bother you, it's your problem. Spoiler alert, no one bothered me because Walmart doesn't have a shoes required policy for customers. It's just the renegade employees that take it upon themselves to enforce non-existent regulations that ever get their panties in a knot over it. In barefoot news, the University of New Mexico is holding two graduation ceremonies this week for all graduates who have earned their diplomas in the last two years, but missed the ceremonies due to the pandemic. There will be one ceremony on the 16th for graduate and higher degrees, and a second ceremony on the 17th for bachelor degrees. I love how they describe the graduate keynote speaker, Molly Witt, in the online program. Quote, she spent most of her childhood barefoot and dodging cactus, end quote. Witt's biography goes on to list her academic and professional accomplishments, which are many. Congratulations to the 2020 and 2021 graduating classes. I hope you all stay safe and have fun celebrating this week. Speaking of celebrations, how are you celebrating New Year's Eve? How about by walking barefoot over hot coals? That's what everyone at the Ignition New Year's Eve Gala in Middletown, Delaware will be doing. The Facebook page for the event says, Say hello to the new year by breaking through your fears, limiting beliefs, and anything that holds you back. What is a firewalk? It's more than just walking barefoot across 1,200 degree coals. Firewalking is an ancient ritual that has existed for thousands of years to demonstrate courage, faith, and strength. It can be traced back as far as ancient Roman and beyond, and it can be seen on every continent of the world. The power of the mind-body connection experience will transform how you view any obstacle, any barrier, or any challenge that the future may hold. You have a choice to conserve, expend, consume, and restore your energy every day. Live life with purpose. Live life fully. Crush your limiting beliefs and join us for the theme of Step Into Your Power for this six-hour transformational event. I have nothing but awe for people who firewalk. Same for people who do the New Year's Day polar bear plunge, where you cut a hole in the ice and jump in the freezing water. I like to be comfortable, and neither of those sound comfortable. I can walk on snow and hot asphalt no problem, though, so maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Am I chicken for not wanting to firewalk? Maybe. If you're planning on doing this, please, please, please reach out to me for an interview. I would love to have you on the show. That's all for this week's episode. I will be back uh, probably in a few days. I'm still catching up from that three-week long depressive episode. So I'll be back in a few days with an interview with Megan Rogers, author of Rosie the Reindeer. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierratheBarefootGirl at gmail.com. Thank you to Legion X for my intro and outro music. You can find me on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot. 
on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot, on Instagram at Sierra the Barefoot. All of my books are available on Amazon and on my website, sierrathebarefootgirl.com. My Patreon is patreon.com slash possumfeet. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.